is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. You're hopefully favorite Chelsea podcast out there. Dan, one of your hosts here, and it is another one of our transfer special episodes. And this is a deep dive with our good friend Sam, you know him as CFC Central, looking into two of the newest blues that have joined up with Chelsea this winter. It's Andre Santos and Benoit Badiashil, who have both joined Chelsea. And you know what? Sam has been hard at work. He's been analyzing matches. I think he's now into the mid-50s for the total number of matches that he has watched across this transfer window because names keep flying out, left field, right field, out of orbit. And he is making sure that we have all the information we need and we can pass to you so that you are fully informed about every new player that will eventually be suiting up for Chelsea. So, Sam, welcome back. How are you feeling after all that research? And are you excited to talk about these two new players for Chelsea? Yeah, I think those are two very, very different answers, Dan. I'm extremely excited to talk about our, our newest signings, but um, I'm not going to lie. It's The fatigue has been debilitating to a point where, um, you know, to myself, I had promised that there were certain players who were unattainable, like financially and in terms of just outside the realm of what was practical. And, you know, I thought, wow, Prof Felix, like 126 million, nobody's going to pay that for him. And we've ended up with him as well. So um, I'm just thinking, where does the buck stop? Like at what time or what point do I say a player is out of, you know, our grasp? So it just infinitely increases the number of players I need to watch. Like you said, I've now sort of like hit 50, 55 matches, considering the amount of targets we've been linked to and, and the guys that who might arrive, you're already looking at different positions. But um, yeah, uh, one of those players right now who we're going to discuss in this episode has been somebody that I've been following for for quite some time and is arguably one of the most exciting young players um, I've had the privilege of watching. So very, very excited to do a deep dive on him. And uh, hopefully the listeners also find something to take away. Well, we are going to get into that in just one second. We want to remind people that if you haven't done it before, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We super appreciate that. We do have a newsletter as well you can sign up for. Link is in the podcast note descriptions. And we are still booking some of the last remaining slots on our our tour over to London to go see Chelsea play Leeds and Dortmund at home. Who knows? It could be the last Champions League match in quite some time for Chelsea. Uh, hopefully that is not the case and we are watching them advance into further rounds, particularly after the reinforcements that we're getting this winter. So uh, all that information in the podcast notes or just email us, DM us, hit us up with a question. We'd be happy to answer it for you. But anyway, we are jumping right in. We are going to be talking first about Andre Santos, the newest Brazilian coming to Chelsea. And we have not really had an influx of Brazilian talent. That pipeline has kind of been off at Chelsea for a little bit, Sam. And this is a very exciting way to turn the spigot back on, even if people are wondering you know, how quickly this individual will make an impact. It feels like the restoration of that pipeline with a talent, a player of this talent level, even at his prospective age, is a really exciting way to bring that talent back into Chelsea. I mean, I know we have Thiago Silva, but that's kind of, you know, came in on a, on a free, a little bit older. This is kind of like the 
restart of maybe something a little more magical? Yeah, 100%. I think it's, um, I would go as far as to say this is probably one of the Vinicius Rodrigo category of signings. Um, buying them early, making sure that you are blooming and then sort of nurturing uh, a future superstar and giving them enough time to get used to the, the surroundings and the environment that they're going to be uh, playing in. So I actually, when I was looking at younger players around um, Europe, honestly, at that point in time, FPRF didn't provide any kind of context, any kind of statistical picture when it came to youngsters from the Brazilian Serie A. So, um, I was trying to figure out like who this kid is because I had no numbers to go on. I, I basically went in blind. And uh, the first couple of matches that I saw him, I was absolutely blown away. And he was in the Brazilian second division. So it was quite extraordinary to see somebody of his caliber um, in a in a league like that. And, and with all due respect, figuring out like, what is this guy doing here? And like, he needs to be trying to show off his, his skill set somewhere. Um, he's incredible like i think he's arguably already at 18 when i was watching him he was 17 17 and a half extremely well-rounded you know for a, for a kid his age psychologically mentally physically he looks spectacular like when you want the player to to come in um without any need for coaching the basics and and sort of finessing slightly polishing the edges you don't need to do that with him i think it's just tactical understanding making sure he has a healthy environment to continue his trajectory. I think that's exactly what we're looking for, but incredible. We will go into detail in terms of what makes him incredible, but uh, somebody I am extremely, extremely fascinated by and I'm very eager to see how he gets on. And so he's coming to us from Brazil, uh, in particular Vasco, which has an awesome badge, uh, as I was looking up a little bit more information about Santos. But I know, Sam, you love to fall deeply madly in love with the player's story how they got to the point of where they are today what steps were taken what steps missteps were taken to get that player to chelsea to get to this point in their career and so why don't you spin that yarn and give people a little more information about how he made the progression from you know second level brazilian football to Chelsea. Well, interesting enough, when I was reading up on him, um, I didn't have access to Portuguese interviews because translating it was a little tough and, and trying to go online and find out it was it was quite difficult to come across stuff. But I did talk to a lot of uh, experts who sort of watch Brazilian football on a daily. Um, Jessica Frota, you know, somebody who follows the pod very closely, is an amazing person, very knowledgeable. Uh, Peter as well is somebody who's um, been very kind, very helpful with with his input on Brazilian players like Vitor Roque and um, Andre Santos as well. So um, I figured out, I discovered that that this guy was basically, Andre Santos was asked to play futsal at the age of four in a bid to lose weight. And his parents wanted him to lose weight, so he started futsal. Um, started off as a defender, then he moved into midfield at Vasco. And then he made his professional debut just about like two years ago. So very, very recent um, professional footballer. I wouldn't even say like he's been playing for a while. At 16, he he made his professional debut, uh, got his first team debut uh, at 17. And then after that, uh, he's just been on an exponential rise. He's already captaining uh, the Brazilian U20 side. I was watching a couple of games from when he was playing for the Vasco U20s. There was a game where he 
uh, featured in the Vasco beat Rio Claro 12-0. And there were some very interesting, very flamboyant youngsters, and he was one of them. Uh, Figueredo is also one of them who's broken in from the youth team and gone on to play for the Vasco senior team. So very exciting routes, but he's made this effortless transition into first-team football. Granted that the Brazilian second division isn't really going to offer um, a firm challenge to somebody of his caliber, but there have been interesting circumstances for, for me as well. It's been a learning experience considering most of the time I have a very good reference point in the league in terms of what the physical benchmark is and uh, what this player needs to be doing to be considered above average or to be considered good. But uh, he at 18 is playing with uh, somebody like a Nene who's on his team, who's 41 years old. Now, Nene has been somebody who was at PSG in 2010, so 13 years ago. And he's playing with somebody of that caliber now. So it's interesting to see how he compares with in terms of level of skill, in terms of level of physical preparation. Um, and it, it's been it's been lovely to watch. I think he's amazingly talented. And like I said, he's also had this lovely education where he's learned close control and, and been very good at dribbling from his futsal education. He's also played as a defender, so he's got certain skills from there. And now he's a midfielder. So he's basically all-rounded. He's got an extremely good education. And um, he's still only 18. Quite the path to get there. And this may be from a individual who's not aware. So you have the, the Serie A and Serie B which uh, so he plays in the Serie Serie B or played in the Series B previously, would that be analogous in terms of comp level from the Premier League to the Championship, or is it a is it a wider golf or is it a smaller golf between the two? It's extremely hard to say, Dan. To, to be honest, there are certain things that that made me look at football from a different perspective completely. I would say that. Um, in terms of ta tactical organization, in terms of how well the teams are organized, in terms of how they play football, um, there is a lot more emphasis on individuals. You know, that there's a lot more, I think the managers look to maximize individual talent to give them the kind of freedom that they know. A lot of the times when I was trying to figure out what exactly certain teams are playing in terms of shapes, I couldn't make head or tails of it because, you know, somebody from fullback would end up um, running and marking, counter-pressing in the other area, then certain players would not shift, so the shape looked lopsided. Um, so in terms of trying to figure out tactically, I think it is a bit naive. But what I really found fascinating was the level of individual skills in each of these players looked better than, than what we've seen probably in the championship or even in the Premier League. For example, long-range shooting. Some of the centre-backs were taking shots from 40-45 yards and actually getting it on goal. Um, and then also like the, the set pieces, just this dribbling prowess, just having this flair, having this sense of need to let the individual shine. That was an interesting perspective for me to have. And, and it also allowed me to focus on 1v1 what a person does. I think that was the interesting takeaway that, that I took from watching the second division of Brazilian football. So um, I wouldn't say compare him completely it would be fair to say that oh he's the finished product when he's playing in the second division but i can also say that he's played in a league where he has to do twice as much of work that he would want to do in an organized side so there are there are positives and there are negatives but um, assessing him in terms of how he competes with one-to-one -one peers or what he does in certain situations i think i'm i'm 
pretty certain when I say that uh, we have a very good player on our hands. Well, as we get into how good of a player we have on our hands, I know you came up with a list of strengths. So maybe we can kind of take the first couple of those here that you want to run through with listeners on exactly why you're so excited and have been excited about Santos as a talent. Yeah, the first thing that I think pops out about him is his physical conditioning. I think in terms of his stamina, in terms of his work rate, he is off the charts. I don't have the numbers, unfortunately. Distance numbers, high-intensity numbers, very difficult to come by. But in terms of just the eye test, how much he covers in terms of the ground, he looks in absolutely spectacular condition. He reminds me a lot of Carlos Tevez. You know, when you watched him play, he would consistently make a high-intensity sprint. He would recharge his batteries for about 10 seconds, and then he would go again. And, and I think Andre is exactly the same kind of player. He recharges, he goes over and over again. And he makes sprints from, you know, the edge of his own box into the other box he will do, do tracking. He will basically go side to side. Um, he requires a good engine for the role that he plays in the side, but it's just how good he looks. It also reminds me a lot of Paul Pogba. Um, at, at basically when he was breaking out at 19 years old, a lot of people were saying that this kid is physically ready to play. He looks like he's already been playing senior football for the longest time. I think Santos is in that mode. Maybe physically, in terms of like his muscular mass, he can improve a little bit. But in terms of pure energy, in terms of pure application, absolutely fascinating. And so as you kind of advance through that, so not just you know the the engine and his mobility, but other things that you are excited about in terms of those uh, skills? Because that's an initial one to feel really excited about. Yeah, I think uh, just starting off from there, I think it's just when you look at the physical quality that he has in terms of the role that he plays, which again, like I think I should explain that at Vasco, he plays in a 4-2-3-1 and he plays what I would call the Enzo position, which is um, he also plays the Enzo role, you know, somebody who is very extremely determined in terms of wanting to influence every phase of the game. And I think that's, again, an extremely good strength. When I look at his determination, when I look at his his mental qualities, he seems like he wants to be everywhere. A very interesting thing that I saw that I haven't seen anywhere in the Premier League or, or a lot of leagues is that he actually takes goal kicks and he stands next to the goalkeeper. He takes the first touch. And he attracts players towards him. So you basically attract other people from the opposition team to press you. Uh, he moves the ball to the side and he basically demands the ball under pressure. He wants players to come tackle him. He wants players to come to him. And then he uses certain other physical skills to evade pressure and, and get the ball to the, to the opposition attacking third. So um, he's somebody who shows those characteristics. He's very comfortable under pressure. Granted, the counter-pressing isn't as severe as you would see in top European leagues, but he wants the ball. He wants basically to be the controller. He wants to be the conductor. Um, very comfortable, always demanding, always asking for the ball. Great leadership qualities. I think um, when I talked about him being captain of the Brazil U20 team, somebody who can evolve into a very determined, headstrong kind of influence in uh, the dressing room. He's somebody who will show those kind of qualities that we've been solely missing in midfield. So I think he's in that mold as well. And again, talking about influence, it's just how much of his, his output 
uh, also comes from his work rate and his determination. He's just an extremely high quality, high output kind of player. When I was looking up at his numbers, um, when I was looking up at Enzo, for example, let's take an example. He was offering somewhere around 3.44 defensive duels a game for 90 minutes. Anywhere, if you see somebody who they've been um, linked to, for example, a Moises Caicedo, will probably be around three defensive duels in a game. Um, this guy competes in 8.4. So he's on the other astronomical edge of the spectrum. Again, like those have to be adjusted according to possession because if you're playing in a in a team that faces a lot of the of the attacks, then obviously you'd want your midfielders to do a lot more work. But uh, it's just how much of defensive work he wants to do, even when his team has possession. He if if somebody loses the ball, he's the first to go and charge forward to get the ball back. Extremely aggressive, extremely tenacious, and he covers the hard yards. It does not matter if it means going from 70 meters from the edge of your box to going ahead, but it also means when the ball is lost in the box, in the opposition box, coming back, running at full speed for 60 yards, getting the tackle in, recovering the ball, and then again circulating it. So it's just his influence. I think that's what fascinates me. It's it's somebody who's at 18 showing the physical and mental durability to say, I want to be everywhere. Um, I will not go as far as to say N'Golo Kante regen, but I would say that he's somebody who is in the similar frame of mind. I think he can do anything, provided he puts his mind to it. And a coach good enough can come and give him the right sense of discipline, the right sense of control over his certain skill sets. But that's what's exciting. I think when I look at him, I'm like, this guy can do anything in any phase. You ask him to attack, he does it. You ask him to track back, he does it. Even the kind of midfielder that you want him to be. When uh, I was reading up again, he said that his three favorite midfielders were Casemiro, um, Bruno Guimaraes, and uh, Thiago Alcantara. And I, maybe he does not have the technical skill sets to be a Thiago, but he can easily be the other two, provided of how how his you know um, trajectory goes from here. So these four things definitely make me excited um again if i elaborate on the physical aspects of it what's also interesting is he he looks like he also possesses a very rare blend of athletic qualities he's able to almost explode off a standing start like you would see a Kovacic. he's extremely quick over the first couple of yards uh doesn't necessarily have the strength to to barge past people but Given a couple of yards, he will drive through lines. So he's good at carrying it. A lot of the times when you see Vasco counterattack, he's the guy leading the counter. He's going to collect the ball. He's either going to move it or he's either going to carry it as quickly as he can and he can move past it. He looks like a winger at, at central midfielder. So I think that's, again, something that intrigues me because I thought he might have played in the forward line. But when I looked at his research, it actually says that he started off as a defender and then he's progressed forward. So again, pretty interesting about how he's got there. But um, in terms of physical application and mental, I think the two psychological things that I'm looking at, top marks for both. I like the talk about the 
interesting mix uh, in the kind of start-stop ability, basically, to go from 0 to 60, more electric car than a traditional combustion engine in terms of his acceleration. You've definitely watched a, a few of the videos that have been circulating and, you know, you run the risk with the highlight clips, and this is the general caveat, that it shows all of the great things a player does and none of the things that are going to annoy you potentially or are the growth or opportunity areas. But the, the two other ones that you have listed here, uh, you talk about the defensive aptitude and the the box threat, and I think these are some that maybe tick into the players that he could become or players that he it has as you know deemed to be his favorite midfielders that would really round out uh, the game, but they're also on like different sides of the uh, of the skill set. Yeah, true. I mean, when you look at a Casemiro, for example, um, just his level of defensive awareness, when to intercept, when to get into tackles. I think it's something that also comes from from Andre's um, development as a defender in his early days. He understands when to stay tight. He's Equally comfortable keeping a few yards between him and his marker just to bait the opposition into, into passing the ball before he gets it back. So displays an extremely high level of intelligence. He's somebody who um, can often look like he's a centre-back. Um, he's a playmaker. He's a box-to-box midfielder. He's a defensive midfielder. Behaves in certain roles in different parts of the pitch. So it's just shows that he's somebody who understands the game very well, somebody who's very finely attuned to his own skill set. I think he's very aware that he can do all these things. And then I think it's just great to see that level of intelligence, that level of application at such a young age. And the box set, it's it's something that I said very close to Enzo in terms of making runs from... Um, I'm uncomfortable calling him a defensive midfielder, but when you're playing in the double pivot, just somebody who will attack the box from deeper positions, um, get into certain positions to get into headers, also show some nice box movement, will try to get away from his markers to shoot, um, offers a lot nice long-range shot as well. So he's got some good skills in and around the box, in the opposition box, so can get you goals. I think he scored eight goals in, in the season um, in about 33 appearances, which is not bad for a, for a double-six midfielder. It's more than anybody else in in midfield for us. So um, somebody who can offer and polish that side of his game as well. So overall, I think um, somebody who displays an excellent level of of positional understanding of basically displaying a wide range of, of roles and, and tactical disciplines. I think that's what fascinates me about Andre. He can, he can go any way he wants. It's just, I think, depends on uh, who's shaping him, who's molding him for what responsibility. And then you also mentioned the box threat and just his ability to his elusive nature and ability to lose his man as he takes on or tries to make a run into the area as the last of the buckets of strength that you're looking at right now. It's it's also related to his other strengths. I think it's also ties so well into like his engine, for example. I would say that um in the Brazilian second division, a lot of the times in the last 15-20 minutes, you see players tiring out. You see just people jogging around and, and not really sprinting. But that's when he comes alive. You know, he still has that engine to keep sprinting at high intensity. So a lot of the times he just bursts past people like they don't exist. And he ends up somewhere in the edge of the box and, and he'll offer you a threat. Cans cross also. He goes to the wings. He crosses... 
um, gets into heading positions. So again, somebody who I would say like in a Lampard kind of role, somebody who arrives late, somebody who is the unmarked person, somebody who's very difficult to track because essentially if you if you need to track him, one of your midfielder needs to run 60, 70 yards just to stay up with him. That's an extremely tiring thing to do. It's It's a matter of concentration. It's a matter of physical conditioning. And in terms of that, not many can keep up with him. It'll be interesting to see how well he compares when he comes to England. But I think like if you put him tomorrow at an academy level, um, say along with the likes of Omari or Cassidy, he would probably be in somewhere in the Chukwumeka Cassidy role. You know, he look far too good for academy level because he's he's that well-rounded. So um, I think he'll be on the fringes there. So it's just a matter of how much time does he need to settle down? And from there on, give him the confidence that he needs and and slowly bed him in if possible. Well, all plenty of things to be excited about. We're going to take a real quick ad break. We want to thank these sponsors for supporting the show. When we come back, we'll get into rounding out the Andre Santos examination with some weaknesses and maybe where his player parallels could lie before getting into Benoit Badia-Shield. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right, Sam. So we told an extremely positive tale, a very happy story. And even in the happiest of stories, there is conflict. There is challenge. There is an adversarial moment to make it through. And we want to talk about the weaknesses. And this is the shortest weakness list that you have put together on a single player that we have start- since we started doing this series. And so I guess let's talk about the one thing you've highlighted it's also because of his age. I think I don't want to be unnecessarily harsh on him. Um, you know, when, when, for example, Levi Cole was somebody that I was studying, it was it was apparent that there were some shortcomings, but you also knew that with regular game time, they would iron themselves out. I think with, with Andre, I also look at uh, a few things that could be improved, a lot of things that can be improved. I would say the majority of the list is not about weaknesses, but about what is the potential to, to sort of like hone. And like I said, like, for example... Uh, One thing that I would point out in terms of potential is, can he improve his execution? He has some good vision for somebody in midfield, but can he use his passing better? Somebody He's he's very good at carrying it and very good at attacking the box, but can he offer an Enzo Fernandez-level threat with the ball? Can he unlock defenses? Shows it in glimpses, but sometimes gets a little carried away. So can he improve that? The one major weakness, I would say, is is his tactical discipline. It could be because of the nature of the league, uh, because the way that he plays, and also partly because of you know how his mindset is. He's extremely aggressive, um, very, very keen to participate in everything that he can do. And sometimes that, that sort of manifests in getting stranded in the middle of nowhere. Uh, sometimes he overcommits, sometimes he'll stick his leg and then he won't be able to recover properly. And that leads to some sticky situations. So he gets dribbled past a lot. Um, it's also not the case where in a double pivot in in Vasco you have balance. You know, for example, one pivot stays back and then the other goes and attacks. Uh, most of the times you also see the other pivot attacking at the same time. So everybody goes ahead. So it can be a little chaotic at times. And I think that's why I'm, I'm looking at him from that lens. But it'll be interesting to see how well he fares in an organized structure in say, if you give him a nice defensive partner who who allows him to take those risks, I think he could still do well. But tactical discipline-wise, can get into sticky situations, also fouls people a lot. He's also got a lot of cards. I think last season he picked up nine yellows and one red. 
So um, that's like 10 cards in 33 games. So he picks up a card every three games. But it's also something that you don't necessarily want to tone down completely. I think his, his, aggression, his aggression, his tenacity is, is something that is a major plus for him. I think it drives him. It gives him the kind of purpose that you would want from, from a very mobile, hyperactive midfielder. So maybe ask him to rein it in a little bit, try to control certain instincts. But other than that, I think it's more about polishing rather than saying that this should be eliminated from his game. Fair point for someone who is still on the very early side of their professional footballing career, but Elbite making a very massive move to a wonderful and historic club in West London. As we go on to talk a little bit more about some of the potential elements that you are looking at in terms of maybe, I guess they would call these the highest likelihood that if he works on these things, that it would take his entire game to another level. And I think you mentioned kind of like the physicality, the psychological growth, and then maybe some of the the technical uh, vision as it relates to like the volume of passes that he, he tries. And so, I mean, you want to run through why those are why you're looking to those in particular as the things that will take him from being, you know, a, a one of the hottest prospects from the Brazilian um, Brazilian market to making him a, a household name within global football. I think it's uh, a lot to do with with what has happened to other midfielders as well. Sometimes you come from a different league and maybe you're physically inadequate. I mean, there are certain times where certain scenarios where you require an added physical dimension. And I think he will require it, for example, when, when he's doing certain things. If he's trying to break lines, if he's going to be somebody like a Mateo Kovacic, he needs to add a little bit of strength to his balance. I think he, when he moves at quick speeds, uh, can get sort of barged off too easily, can lose his balance a little bit. I think he will find the quality and and the magnitude of challenges far more aggressive in nature when it comes here. So uh, maybe he has to be prepared for that. There will also be better athletes around him. So maybe he has to bulk up a little bit. The one reference that, again, I've, I've already given is Paul Pogba, I think, can still improve in, in physical respects. Uh, but somebody who also like added to his frame and made it better was Leon Goretzka. Somebody who started off as a central midfielder, added a lot of bulk and it only improved his game. I think the key is how can he accentuate his his physical uh, strength without hindering his explosiveness or his speed. I think if you can add both, if you can give him an added edge when he goes into duels because he challenges a lot, uh, can you give him that, that additional strength to work with? And I think that will be something that will probably push him as an exceptional athlete in terms of strength. In terms of his engine, in terms of his stamina, I think he's already at an astounding level. I don't think anything needs to be changed there. Uh, psychologically, I think he's he's a great fit. He looks like he's a he's a winner. He's mentally resolute. In terms of what I see on the pitch, his reaction to losing the ball, his reaction to losing in general is bitter. He does not like it. Um, he just tends to go full-blooded. He wants the ball back. He wants to make sure that Whatever happens next is not my mistake. He takes responsibility. Even at that age, you know, with senior players, shouts at teammates when they make mistakes. Make sure that he's, you know, telling them what roles they need to do and how. So 
I think that's fascinating to see. The fact that he's captaining his country at such a young age, also a major plus. And like I said, that can only improve um, with time and experience. So, so hoping that there's also something that can develop with time. Technically, I think, again, I asked for this improvement because he will be asked to do certain things as, as an advanced midfielder. He can improve those. And there are certain scenarios which just don't happen in, in the second division of Brazilian football. For example, when he's building up, you don't often see him receiving with his back to the opposition goal, like say Jorginho does. So how well can he do it when the press is aggressive? When players are switch, switched on to triggers, for example, that when a pass happens when and a player's got his back to you, you just press aggressively to try and take the ball back. That does not happen at Vasco. That does not happen at the second division of Brazilian football. So can he display those technical skill sets? Can he be sharp enough? Can he be quick enough to, to get out of those situations? Those are question marks. And I think he needs to be prepared for that. He's already got some very lovely close control. He's got some decent speed. He's, I think he's got some good dribbling skills. He's got decent dribbling. He's got good pace to go with it. So if he can mesh that all together, if he can mold it all together and make himself very technically competent in the first phase, I think he'll be unstoppable. So there is scope for improvement, but that would be my upper ceiling for him. If he can improve these physical and technical traits, we'll have a monster in midfield. And so as we look ahead just a touch to where he could situate in at Chelsea. And I think there's a lot of paths for him. He could go into playing in the academy side. He could potentially be one of the first individuals that gets loaned to a a Clear Lake Capital uh, B team that uh, Todd Bowley and company purchase as a part of their global footballing empire that they're looking to build. Or he could be someone who you know sees a sees a loan move to another side. I mean, there are some work permit issues that I know that Chelsea are kind of looking to get through and resolve as well. But where do you see him eventually fitting in this side if we do get the best out of him? It sounds like you made mention a few times. Defensive mid is not the way we want to consider him, even though he has shown a very strong ability to be able to be that steel in midfield and it's really more likely nurturing his forward ability where we would get the most out of him from how he would impact the game yeah i think he can do basically everything so maybe if you put him at a defensive midfield i have no doubts he'll, he'll do really well he'll be able to offer a high degree of of defensive output he'll be able to to orchestrate build-up for you. He'll, he'll essentially do what a register does in the first phase. He's extremely good at building up, has confidence. So like you said, maybe the idea is if he plays in that deeper role, do we lose out on his progressive strengths? You know, why is it that we don't play Kova as, as the deepest in the three? Because you want him driving with the ball. You want him breaking lines. You want him getting to the attacking third and linking the midfield and attack. So... That's something that Santos does really, really well as well. So I visualize him as a complete B2B midfielder, somebody who's able to offer you everything in between the two boxes and uh, can also impact the game in those boxes as well. So because he's just got the physical capability to do so. So um, I would try to blood him as as an eight or as a B2B. Somebody, like I said, in an Enzo role, you find the right defensive partner for him, somebody with a conservative mindset who's willing to sit back and, and take care of 
any loose ends and allow him to do his own thing, you know, um, just like an N'Golo Kante. You you put a sitter next to him like a Matic and ask him to press, ask him to link play, ask him to dribble past lines. He'll do that for you. So I think that's what uh, I visualize him long term. All right. Well, that's, I think, going to do it here as we talk about Santos. Any final thoughts on him before we go on to the next and more likely a first-team player in the very short future in Benoit Badiashil? I would just say that uh, I would repeat that he's somebody in terms of player parallels. I think, you know, he talks about in an interview how he admires Casemiro, Thiago, and then Bruno G. So I think uh, in terms of comparison, you could call him a Bruno Guimaraes type, somebody who's very competent at everything. But if I were to talk to a Chelsea fan and say, what is the player parallel I'm talking about? Probably going to say Michael Essien. Well, that is going to get nobody excited, absolutely whatsoever, in any realm or world or multiverse. So let's get on to talking about Benoit Badiashile. And I know that we are, uh, we'll probably see him for first team minutes in the very near future, considering the amount of fixtures that Chelsea still have before the late January reprieve before uh, Chelsea resume kind of their fixtures in February. Uh, So we have a few more matches. Potentially, we will get a chance to see him. But before we do, what are the things that in your research in the the hundreds of matches you've probably watched at this point now that you've identified as some of those key strengths that you think people will be very excited about as they get to know Badia Shiel as a player for Chelsea. And then, I mean, if you remember, we did a board uh, quite some time ago regarding defensive targets, and he was one on the list. He was. <laughs> he was ranked, I think, fourth on that list um, with only Pau Torres and Mohamed Simakan, I think, behind him. Um, he was showing some excellent form there, and I think um, a lot has changed. I think he's probably hit what you would call a young player's natural sort of plateau at times where you're trying to figure out what else can I do better. Uh, his his form has sort of dipped a little bit, has gone up and down, has sometimes been a little inconsistent. There have been weaknesses, there have been certain flaws that have cropped up. So questions about why is this happening? Is it because he's just at that stage of his development where he's trying to figure out what kind of a player he wants to be or is it again his physical development or, or something's again popped up psychologically or, or so many different questions. But in terms of finding the right profile, I think when we were looking at a Josco Guardiola, somebody who could offer the kind of progression we've missed after Antonio Rudiger, not through passing, but somebody brave enough to carry it through lines, somebody who can offer you a very robust presence. Um, I think when you're looking at Adia Shiele, he's... In that category, he's somebody under the age of 25 who offers you the same value in terms of progressive passes, offers you good defensive output, and does not cross anywhere close to 100 million. So um, I think that the hierarchy has been pretty smart with this. They've seen a player who's arguably having a little bit of a dip. He was in the last year of his contract. They've figured out that he's 21 years old and has probably, like, if he gets on the right track again, has a long and lovely future ahead of him. So buying him for 38 million euros and giving him a seven and a half year contract, I think that's planning long term. It's everything that the hierarchy promised. 
And I think in terms of taking a very well-calculated risks, these are the risks I want our team to take. And that's what excites me. I think he's got some really, really good uh, strengths with him. The foundations are strong. It's just about trying to nurture him back onto being the player that he was and in terms of like his ceiling. Can he reach that ceiling and pull out those performances consistently? If he can answer those questions, it's money far, far well spent. All things to be very excited about. And maybe as we go through those specific strengths, uh, I think the one that probably you noticed just by looking at him as a player is the fact that he is tall and is going to settle in as, I believe, Chelsea's tallest a, a tallest individual defender in the senior team. And uh, that's a nice thing in general. But you also have some other traits or skills that you want to highlight as well. But that's one that just off the top, you're going to notice right away, uh, we've added some height in our back line, which in the Premier League, not a bad thing. And he is monumental. He's, he's uh, six feet four inches tall. He's 194 centimeters. I think that's six, four and a half to be accurate. So he's closer to six, five. But um, yeah, he's one thing that you notice about him. He's absolutely phenomenal in the air. He's, he's, he's a tank. It's something that he adds in terms of the steel in the middle of defense. He gobbles up anything that you try to throw in, in terms of crosses. It's something that we've sorely missed. And I think uh, six out of the 19 goals we've conceded in the league this season have been from set pieces. So in terms of having somebody who offers that kind of assurance, we don't have Fofana. We don't have, um, you know, Rudiger anymore. The kind of authority we had inside the box um, from set pieces about when we won the Champions League and how strong we were there. We've missed that. We've missed that desperately. And I think in terms of his aerial prowess, he covers it brilliantly. His, his aerial win percentage this year has been 75%. So three out of four crosses in the box deals with it. Um, 77% and 73% in the last two. I don't think he's dropped under 63% in his senior career. So um, what is considered a good number, he's <clears throat> on the higher end of the scale. He's been exceptional. So when you ask about um, dealing with the physical aspect of it. Can you deal with, you know, uh, all these tall center backs and, and robust center forwards jumping at headers and trying to score? I think he's somebody that will offer you a lot of assurance and, and God knows we need it when it comes to our set piece defending. So he's, he's definitely going to be uh, very good in that respect. Moving on with the physical strengths, I would also say that he's, he's pretty quick for, for a guy his size. Um, when, if you remember again in that episode, we were discussing two centre-back names. We were talking about Delict. We were talking about Milan Skriniar. Both of these guys have the turning radius of an oil tanker. So when you see them turn, when you see them basically respond to changing direction, uh, can look very laboured, can look as if they're just taking some time to, to explore off the pace. He's slightly more quicker. I would say that he's definitely a better athlete in that sense. He's far more quick. And when he gets into top speed, I think it's it's very good to see how well he can make recovery runs, how well he keeps up with very quick forwards. I was watching um, a game against PSG for this, uh, multiple games against PSG for this, just to see that how he would compare with elite threats. And when he hit top speed, he was keeping up with Mbappe, which is saying something. So um, at six feet four, with his stride length, just how much ground he covers with each step, 
he's able to to sort of translate that into good speed make sure that no quicker threats are getting past him also gets that lovely frame in between any crosses in between any shots so it's hard to get the ball past him um so in terms of physical sense i think he's somebody who adds a lot of athleticism adds a lot of physical presence and he's also very well built for a high line i would say you know he's somebody who's going to stand in um the opposition half close to the center circle and whenever the ball breaks loose and goes up in the air he just recycles it again effortlessly over and over again and if obviously if somebody's trying to play the ball in behind the defense he's got the speed to go back cover it and make sure that you're safe so he's the ideal high line defender also very good at um, other qualities one of them i would say is his passing so like i said if you're trying to go for a josco guardiol if you're trying to get somebody who can break through the the first line of pressure i think it's uh, one of the best ones that you can think of in the market for under 21 center backs uh, badia shiel has to be there he's somebody who's very good at breaking lines um he's also extremely good at passing out of pressure if you look at monaco um, they have this um build up this low build up that they will try to attract the opposition press then they will try to play past the line and get it to their forwards who are extremely pacey if you see brilembolo if you've seen him at the world cup with switzerland if you see vesam benyeda all these guys are extremely quick so you try to get enough space that you can get your attackers to run into so you attract the opposition team play out of the press and then get the ball up front and he's very good at it you know he's happy playing under pressure has the strength to to hold off defenders or anybody who's trying to press him and then make sure that he can use his passing to to get past that pressure and and get up the pitch so he's also somebody who fits into a possession style of play so in terms of all the profiles that you need from the ideal left center back in our system definitely i think ticks all the boxes and so i mean i guess as we look at how he just fits in i mean the fact that you, know, you have tiago silva ending his contract at the end of this summer obviously the club is looking to see what options are available to extend there you have legal coel who is starting to really come together in his loan at Brighton. You have Trev Chalaba back. You have Aspi, who will just be another year uh, older and then kind of heading into the last year of his contract at the start of the next season. So this definitely feels like a really smart bet in terms of Chelsea. And obviously some of the individuals from or an individual in particular in the new think tank developmental uh targeting structure that we have um you know is very aware of monaco's talent and talents and uh most likely was consulted on this deal for Badia Shield as well it to your point at the beginning of talking about him as a player sam it just feels like this is a extremely smart gamble at a much lower price point in an area where we do need reinforcement, but it wasn't necessarily the primary area of need for Chelsea, uh, but does set us up to be a little bit more patient with either the development of certain players or in the market come the summer if we do identify that we do need a, another center back within our our offering. No, I think I'm I'm pretty sure the club was tracking him for the past couple of years at least because he's been on. the radar of a lot of top clubs uh, manchester united tried to sign him a couple of years ago um there were a lot of other clubs who were looking at him as as a first choice option when he was you know breaking out and showing the kind of capabilities if you look at monaco's 
strength and conditioning program, the way they're developing young athletes. Uh, it's been absolutely phenomenal. I've seen Shuamani's interviews where he talks about um, just the level of physical intensity that the training program is getting them used to. Monaco's sprinting, Monaco's ability to cover distances individually is top-notch. And they're not just developing really intelligent football players, but they're also developing top-class athletes. And when you mold those two together, when you fuse those two aspects together, you're going to get a top-notch footballer. So I think that's what really, really convinces me about Paddy Ashil because, you know, at this age, at 21, you're obviously going to have a, a couple of lean spells. You know, that happens to every young player. But um, there was a one-year contract left. Um, we had somebody on our recruitment team who was intimately familiar with his strengths. So it just looked like a good opportunity had opened up in the market to try and um, find out if we can sort out our long-term defense. And, and when I look at right now how the defense is shaping up, you've got two left centre-backs in Levi Colville and Badi Ashil. And you've got, say, a Trev Chaliba and a Wesley Fofana on the right centre-back with Kalidou Koulibaly probably playing the old head Thiago Silva role uh, under Frank Lampard, where you ask him to come in, a little bit of leadership, try to, to slot in when required. Obviously, Silva worked out like a dream. And the hope is that Koulibaly will probably, you know, get into a more uh, conservative role. You know, you don't necessarily want him starting, but want his leadership qualities inside the dressing room. He's somebody who also speaks French. So, uh, Bhatia Shield, as far as I know, does not speak English. So, maybe, you know, getting Koulibaly to sort of bed him in, make sure that you're nurturing him, making him feel comfortable. Um, I think the long-term plan is that you've got some five centre-backs now for the medium and the long-term. So, And all of them can fit into a back-three system as well. Badia Shield, for example, can play as the central centre-back. He can also play as the left centre-back. And as we knew in the summer, Levi Colville was being trained by Tuchel at the centre of a three. So I think in terms of hope, I know that Colville is not going to be sold. There, there are two roles that he can play and uh, he's far too promising. He's, he's far too highly rated for anybody to say that, you know, we'll accept Brighton's bid and sell him. So it's good planning. It's smart planning. I would say paying 100 million for Guardiola would have been extreme overkill. I don't think any centre-back is worth that. Um, so saving 70-odd million on that deal and saying that we'd either send it on a, on a first-choice central midfielder makes far more sense to me. So I think in overall sense, it's a, it's a good decision. Hopefully we will reap dividends uh, somewhere down the line. All right. So with all that said, that's a whole lot of information about Betty Shield. We're going to take our last ad break and then we're going to get into some of the weaknesses, things that we're hoping Graham Potter and team will be able to work on uh, or with Betty Shield on over the coming months and years ahead. And then also talk about some of the potential that we see for him particularly at the high level, or maybe if he is a uh, good but not great in terms of the uh, talent development. But stick around, we'll be right back. All right, Sam. So I know we went through a lot of strengths, a lot of positives here, but we also want to go into maybe some of the weaknesses or areas of opportunity for Betty Ashiel. What are a couple of those that you've highlighted as initial things that Graham Potter and his team will be starting to look at it and pointing out to Betty Ashiel as things he's going to want to work on in the months ahead, particularly as we get into a very dense fixture congestion and trying to make sure that we really do as best as we can to rectify some of the results of the season? Uh, yes. So in terms of, I think, discussing his weaknesses, I would want to highlight his defending style because I think understanding it is 
fundamental in terms of interpreting how he wants to read the game. So he is, like I said, a, a pretty good athlete. He's able to cover distances very quickly. He has a certain sense of, you know, don't have to get too touch tight to a marker because he's able to anticipate very quickly. He's able to see where or how uh, an attacker is turning and then he's able to make the decision. He's also got great awareness. He's also got great positioning. So he's somebody who's, I would say, a, a very good covering defender. If you pair him, say, at the middle of a three-man defense with two aggressive centre-backs, I think he'd be very good at cleaning up threats. He's somebody who's obviously displaying a lot of great speed, a lot of um, lovely foresight, lovely anticipation in terms of he understands how exactly he needs to stand. He he understands how far he needs to stand from his marker to try and, and, and get the ball away from them. So when it comes to the other side of the game, when it comes to being a little more aggressive, that's where I think he struggles. He does not struggle, for example, when he has to do uh, closing down in the attacking third. When A lot of the times when, for example, his man drops into the opposition half and tries to get some space, you'll see Bhatia Shield go all the way from left centre-back to the opposition half in the attack to try and press, to try and make sure that the attacker does not turn, does not have time, does not have space. So he's very good at that. It's when the ball comes in the middle and his own defensive thirds that he gets a little indecisive. A lot of the times you will see him stand off You'll see him wanting to make a show that the defender, sorry, the attacker is taking the first decision and then he reacts to it. He's very Virgil van Dijk in that sense. He prefers just jockeying and waiting and making that decision. And like we've seen in the Champions League final, like we've seen a lot of the times uh, in these past few weeks, you know, it can make you look unprepared. It can make you look very slow. If you remember the Champions League final goal, um, van Dijk was just watching. He was trying to, to block out the cross. By just waiting, he didn't and he didn't just go down and try to close down the source. He waited, he waited, he waited, and the ball came in and and basically the goal happened. So that can happen to Badia Shield as well. He waits too long, even when he's at the edge of his own box and he sees an attacker run towards him, he tends to wait. Tries not to go in and try to tackle or give away a free kick or something. Sometimes he does the opposite. In the middle third, if somebody's running at him, he sticks out a leg picks up a yellow card. So I think he needs to be a little more decisive. I think he needs to be better at dealing with those threats when it comes to applying a little more aggression, being a little more, um, taking more initiative, being more proactive as a defender. I think uh, he needs to to develop and, and polish that side of his game. Um, the second thing I would say is something that I've noticed recently. It wasn't there when, when I was watching him for our first podcast for defensive targets, but his concentration seems to have waned a little bit. It looks like he's very good in spells, but there are certain parts of the game where he tends to zone out a little bit, um, loses focus, makes poor decisions. Sometimes he'll be over ambitious with a pass. When there's a simple pass right next to him, tries to go for a 40-yard diagonal. There's no need to do it. You know, he, he loses concentration, makes poor decisions. And, and sometimes those decisions prove very, very costly. And it does, it happens pretty frequently. There are a lot of them that um, I've highlighted in the Badia Shield thread that I was doing when I was doing the scouting report. Um, just looks like he he shouldn't be doing those things. Like he Like those are avoidable errors. Those are things that shouldn't be in, in a top defender's game. So somehow needs to fix it. I don't know if there's something at the back of his mind. I don't know if 
if it's a temporary thing, if it's a more long-term problem, no idea if, if he's reacting to something that's happened to him in one of the games. Um, but hopefully it's temporary. But concentration definitely has to be um, a lot, lot better. And the third one I would say is, is something that I've noticed in terms of his biomechanics. His anatomy is is strange. I mean, he's he's a six feet five inch guy. He's got long, long legs. He's also very quick. So he relies on on longer strides to cover distances. So a lot of the times when you see him having to adapt physically, when it it is coming from changing from longer strides to to shorter strides, when slowing down at, you know, immediately within a few seconds, tends to struggle tends to find very difficult to adjust his frame. When it comes to, for example, switching um, from his left to his right foot, sometimes when he's mid-air and he tries to control it, looks a little gangly, looks like he's not coordinated well. And I think it's just because of his size. thing is, is athleticism is not quite there in terms of wanting to do the things he wants to do uh, within the time frame. I think he's half a second slow. So... Um, probably because of, of the way he's built. And uh, I don't know if there's a fix for that. I, I think a lot of taller players struggle, uh, sort of struggle with that. If you've seen Darwin Nunez, for example, if you've seen, even seen Erling Haaland, you know, he's uh, somebody who relies on keeping the ball where he can see it. He's, he's definitely trying to keep the ball ahead of him, making sure that he's not going to get tangled in it. You rarely try to see... Erling Haaland control the ball with shorter strides. You know, he wants to keep it at a full sprint where he's able to use it, see it ahead of him. So maybe it's just uh, his biomechanical issues. It's something that taller, blankier athletes will struggle with. It's something that I think uh, he has to be wary of. A lot of defenders tend to, to somehow make peace with it. If you see Dan Byrne does very well for his height. So maybe it's something that he sort out with 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 age. If he's 22, 23, hopefully he'll he'll get a grip of it. But uh, that's something that can also lead to errors. It looks like he's um, he's committed a glaring error, but it it is more with with how his body is orientated. I think that's the issue. So those are the three weaknesses I would talk about. And so as we progress to the potential, and likely a lot of the reasons why Chelsea said, "Hey, we'll make a bet here." and maybe spend a little less versus getting a player like uh, Gavariol and bringing them in after the World Cup that he had. And you know, we've seen some of the comments from the player about that knowing that there was a Chelsea interest there, knowing that maybe there was going to be a winter signing, but seeing that that window has probably shut given the price that uh, Red Bull are looking for. What are the things that we see and say, like at a high level, man, like this guy could really become a top talent in in this area? I, I guess where are you tracking and charting his trajectory? Mm, I think in terms of physical stuff, in terms of physical aspects, he's he's quite there. He was extremely good at seventeen. Um, he looked like he was he was the finished product physically at seventeen, and and right now he looks pretty much the same. I don't think there's anything that you can improve in that respect. He's already pretty strong. Um, he is a little lightweight, in my opinion. He is strong, but he could maybe add a little bit of muscle again. And it's something that I think our fitness team, our is sort of conditioning team, is sort of focusing on. If you see, like I mentioned, Kani Chukwomeka is, is a great um, 
example of it. Mason Mount also packed on quite a bit of bulk. I think this season, before the season started, looked a lot more robust in terms of his physique. So um, if he wants to do it, great, but um, looks fine enough. Like physically, I don't think there's an issue. As long as he keeps his speed, as long as he can make sure his aerial strength is, is 100%, then, then I don't think there's anything that needs changing. Technically also very good. I think he can be a little overambitious, like I mentioned with his passing. Can be a little, you know, um, gets into Xavi mode sometimes, but maybe needs to tone that down. Maybe needs to hold his focus together. But his technique, his intention, his execution are all very, very good. So I think for a young defender, he's pretty much what you would want as a as a modern progressive centre-back. Should stick to his strengths. Try not to do something that isn't required. I think he can do that if he gets more competent with his skills. Psychologically is where I have interesting questions. He's, uh, from what I read, from what I see, he's a, he's a soft-spoken, shy, reserved character. Um, in terms of his off-field demeanor, I would say he's very similar to a Koulibaly. You know, he's very soft-spoken, very um, like N'Golo Kante, for example, who he has referenced. He was asked by Matt Spiro in an interview, you know, um, what about N'Golo Kante? You know, do you think he needs to be more aggressive? But he's like, you know, you, you see N'Golo Kante on the pitch. I don't think you need to channel that. As long as you have the composure, as long as you have the right application, great you know there's there's no need to be overly aggressive and uh, there have been some interesting instances if you've seen that viral video of him with Thierry Henry when he was 17 18 uh, at a press conference he forgot to to tuck his chair inside after the conference was over and Henry gave him the most blood curdling stare that i've ever seen and and Adyashil basically stopped in his tracks tucked his chair back in and then basically continued on his way and uh, He's also broken into tears, broken down into tears after a game when he lost. And interestingly, the reason that he offered was, you know, the Monaco means the world to him. It's his boyhood club and um, didn't want to let them down. He wanted it. He wanted to give everything. So can be seen as a positive, can be seen as a negative. He's he's had an interesting trajectory psychologically. What I also think is a, is a major, major plus about him is how self-aware he is. You know, he's extremely... Um, switched on to where he is in life. When I was talking about the United move that almost happened two years ago, he rejected it because he felt he wasn't ready. And the reasons that he said was, I don't think that I've played at a level good enough to merit that move. And he said that a lot of the times at that season, Monaco had been in the lower reaches of the table. So he wanted to experience what it was like to play at the top of the table and experience that first before trying to make a move. And um, it just reveals that he knows where he wants to go. He's, he's somebody who's very composed, somebody who's extremely mature. Um, one other thing that I really, really loved about him is that in an interview with the Onze Mondial, he was asked, pick a sentence that best represents you. And uh, he replied with a lyric from a French Congolese rapper called Nino. Uh, which says, I know where I'm going, so I walk quietly. So I think that defines him the best. He's somebody who's um, extremely aware of of what he wants from life and, and how he wants to achieve it. So um, I think it could benefit him in high-pressure situations. But um, yeah, that's that's probably going to be interesting. How does he go from a Monaco team that is basically an underdog in say, the bigger competitions to a team where he's required to win day in, day out, and then offer 
you know, 90, 100% every week. So um, those are going to be interesting questions. Socially, I would say very, very strong roots. I think he's a family guy. He's uh, one of eight siblings. He's got six sisters who he says are extremely protective of him. His elder brother is uh, Loic Padiashil. He is an ex-goalkeeper at Monaco. He's elder to him by, I think, two or three years. And um, somebody who um, Benoit says that his elder brother is extremely critical of him, you know, in, in, a, in a very constructive way. He never praises him for, for performances. He always tries to provide the things that he needs to improve on. And the two things that he constantly highlights is you have to improve your aggression and you have to be more consistent, like these two things. And it's something that Bhavi Ashil says that, you know, it's something I'm aware of. When he was asked with this interview with Matt Spiro, like, what are the things you need to improve? He says, I want to be a killer. I want to be like one of the best defenders who who is aggressive, who wants to go in for the kill and, and be absolutely you know, assertive in the way that I impact the game. And um, I think that also says uh, volumes about how, how much he wants to improve in those respects. So I still have faith that at 21, we've found somebody who's obviously very well developed in certain respects, but there are certain things that can be improved that will probably come to the fore when he's challenged at a, at a higher level. But in terms of picking up somebody who I would say is a money ball signing um, with one year on his contract at a reasonable fee, probably bolstering your defenses for the better part of a decade, as good a signing as you can get in the market. And I I hesitate to jump into your player parallel here because of the name. And I think it's going to carry a lot of emotional baggage for people. But... I will set that stage. I will give it a humble pause and I will let you drop that in the closing moments of this episode. <laughs> no, I don't think this is a cause for worry at all. I mean, when, when I compare him to Harry Maguire, I, I mean it in the most respectful way possible to both players. I think uh, Maguire is somebody who's extremely good in the air. Like a couple of seasons ago when I was looking at his aerial numbers, at certain points in the season, he was around 80%. So 80 out of 100 aerial balls he used to win. He's extremely dominant in the air. And uh, he's been he's been made fun of far too often. And in certain phases where Manchester United are trying to keep out uh, and hold on desperately to a lead, you want somebody like a Maguire in, in your deep defense. You know, you want him to be absolutely charging at everything, heading everything away. And and. He's somebody who does that. He's also very good at progressing from the back. He's able to pierce through lines. Um, before Varane came, before all these other guys who are now progressing under Eric Ten Hag, he was basically Manchester United's first outlet of pressure. You know, he was constantly trying to find teammates and spaces. And that's exactly what Badia Shield does as well. Both are tall, uh, aerially dominant defenders with, with a good eye for a progressive pass. I think both have massive room to grow, also have an error-prone streak, but when they sort of put that away, can be extremely useful defenders. So I mean this extremely respectfully. I don't think this comparison should be should be seen in terms of how badly Maguire has been mocked. In terms of just like off-field demeanors, both are supremely dif different in terms of like how they behave or or on the field or off the field. They're completely different. But in terms of playing style, in terms of what they offer. I think that's the closest parallel that I could come up with. Okay, well, there we have it. We've gone through 
two of Chelsea's newest signings in Andre Santos and Benoit Badiashile. More likely to see the latter of the two in the very near future playing for the first team. But just a fantastic 10 out of 10 performance once again, Sam, in terms of the work rate, the energy, the dynamism, everything you did to put together the player profiles on these two individuals, the two newest Chelsea players, uh, wonderfully profiled by yourself. Thank you so much, Dan. I noticed that this is probably the first spot that I'm slurring on a little bit. And that's not because I like, yeah, I'm still hungover from New Year, but it's genuinely been exhausting doing so many player profiles. Um, it's two in the morning here. And, um, you know, it's it's been it's been rewarding to know that we are getting so many lovely players. Like Andre Santos, for example, is somebody that I've been watching for a long time. He, he's been somebody I've been excited about so, so often. And there were so many links to Barcelona and, and a multiple multitude of clubs coming in and saying, we need to get the best Brazilian gem, uh, the next one to break out. And he was always on the radar. And we hadn't picked up a Brazilian player for the longest time. So um, I was extremely nervous. I didn't know whether we would get him. But when we did, when we won the, when the race to sign him, it was just vindication for everything that, I mean, not saying that in any way my work impacts what the recruitment team does. But personally, I felt, certain satisfaction, a certain happiness and um, just made me really, really happy. So um, hoping that I can get a good night's rest and then tomorrow I get Andre Felix on who we will be doing another uh, emergency board, should I call it? Or should we call it like a player special? We can call it a player special because it's a, it's a loan. It's not a permanent deal. So I think the emergency pod to me is reserved for a player who's going to be here <laughs> uh, beyond the end of the upcoming season but uh, we certainly will do some quick homework and due diligence to get information about the i guess you could call it an emergency loan signing pod if you really want to use yeah. the emergency word but yeah that's the perfect one i think you hit the nail on that that is where we're going to be at and uh i i definitely have no doubt that the uh, if the recruitment team isn't looking into uh, some of the work or the threads you've been putting together, uh, you know, you're not taking advantage of the wonderful resource within the Chelsea community that is providing fantastic analysis. But that is all we're going to have for this episode. We're going to let Sam get to sleep. We're going to be back with more episodes this week, next week, the remainder of January, which looks to be a very, very busy time for Chelsea, both on and off the pitch. But we appreciate you lovely listeners hope you're staying safe and staying well and until next time you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high